Hey everyone, check it out. Uh, so for a short period of time, some of you may remember, we were doing these members-only shows. Uh, we stopped doing that, but it was something that we experimented with. And most of you missed out on those, and they were really good, and that's why we re-aired all of them, really. We re-aired George Hand, Terry Shepard, Nick Kaufman, but we didn't get a chance to air the show that we did with The Odyssean, who's now the managing editor of the site, and we talked about Japan and the Yakuza, and I felt that it was something really worth hearing. So if you haven't heard it before, this is fresh for you. If you were a member at the time, we appreciate it. And this is a bit of a trip down memory lane from a little under a year ago. The Odyssean on Soft Rep Radio. Enjoy. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Soft Rep Radio. Special operations, military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target, and we are doing the first ever show for uh, members only in the brand new studio. I am back with Drew Dwyer, who's been stepping in, because Jack Murphy is uh, away. Where is Jack again, anyway? He's in Korea. That's right, yeah. South Korea. And he's showing us uh, some pictures in the writer's group of some of the food there and everything. It looks like, I mean, while he's doing some work there he's also having a good time i'm sure i think you have to i'm really excited to see what kind of stuff he generates out of that area yeah kind of articles and content yeah it's always interesting to see what he's going to come up with uh plenty of people have said for a while you got to get the odyssean back on the show and i'm really excited to have him back on uh former army intelligence uh and he went on to do data collection and analysis in the private sector in japan which has he's been doing for over a decade and has a lot of experience to share. And the guy's just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he has an article out now on softrep.com that you guys could check out. And I know I'm talking to all members now when I do this show, uh, which is that the Japanese government issues citizens DEFCON warning because of North Korea. You'll see the picture of the children hiding under the desk, which is uh, always pretty scary to see. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about that. Before we get to him, though, I, I woke up and saw this article and saw this up on Drudge Report. Uh, Russian bombers, fighter jets fly near Alaska, prompting Air Force escorts. I was hoping to get BK on or something to give us a little bit more background. But this is um, from Fox News. Two Russian bear bombers escorted for the first time by a pair of Su-35 flanker fighter jets entered Alaska's air defense zone on Wednesday night, U.S. officials told Fox News. The Russian formation was intercepted by a pair of U.S. Air Force F-22 stealth fighter jets that were already flying a patrol about 50 miles southwest of Chariot, Alaska. 
A NORAD spokesperson told Fox News the intercept began at 9 p.m. East on Wednesday, and a defense source said it also occurred into Thursday. So this is really, you know, breaking news going on. I, I wanted to hear, I mean, it would have been great to get someone from uh, the Air Force on, but do you have any take on this, of, of just this increased, um, I guess, increased, what's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> tension between Russia and the U.S., really? I don't know. Like, I, sometimes I think that this has been there all along, but maybe we're just hearing about it more often because of um, our new president and um, his um, basically his record so far of acting immediately on any kind of imminent threat. Um, but I don't know. I just kind of try to think about myself as being one of those pilots on uh, the U.S. side and how much discipline it must take to not uh because just any little incident or even if they shot one of those russian planes down would cause such a huge international like uproar yeah the funny thing is as we know the whole narrative was trump is in bed with putin he's in bed with the russians a few months into his presidency it seems like tension with russia is i wouldn't say at an all-time high but at a modern day high uh it's definitely not at a good place with what's going on in Syria. Do you see like more things like this happening? I mean, we haven't heard of anything like this happening in, in recent years up until now. Nothing like um, air to air like situations. But do you remember um, the when the uh, the aircraft were buzzing our carriers and destroyers, the Russian aircraft out in the uh, I don't remember what part of the uh, the world it was in, but whatever ocean. Maybe it was the Indian Ocean. I don't think it was the Med, but um, and and it was just uh, pretty surreal because you could see the sailors and stuff on the deck of the carriers or whatever kind of a, a naval vessel it was, and they were so close again. But it's just almost like, what's the point of it other than to try to get us to spark some kind of international incident? And you know, uh, uh, like I said, it who the person that has to make that call whether to shoot shoot the the person the plane down or not is uh. Obviously, they're taking those orders and have to get confirmation from higher up, but it takes a lot of discipline, and I wouldn't want to be in that situation because I'd probably have my, my finger right on the trigger, ready to <laughs> fire, and go, go hot, man. What about the people who are saying that we're looking at a future World War III with what's going on in Syria and what's going on in Russia? Like, Do you, do you take any – do you think that's the reality? Or? I don't think so. I mean, I see the world like that. Um, I've seen, in my perspective, from my viewpoint, it's – there's always been these kind of little skirmishes and I think we're a little more aggressive now and, and preemptive on it um, compared to maybe the last few administrations. Um, you know, of course, 9-11, we were reactive to, to like stuff that happened. Um, but uh, even Trump says like we shouldn't be the world's police, you know, uh, because there is a lot of money that goes wasted there when they're, in my opinion, where, where there's a lot of stuff at home here that needs to be fixed. So there's that balance, I think, of where you want to get involved and then where you, where you want to stay out of, you know. And there's a lot of people that are smarter than me and make a lot more money than me that analyze all this. Like, what's the uh, means to an end? What's the outcome if we interject here, you know, or even just people are already looking at like, all right, if we overthrow um, the president of Syria, what's the next regime that comes into power how is that going to benefit us you know or what are the what are the takeaways um so i mean that stuff's all pretty well thought out there's tons of plans in in place and at the pentagon for all these different war strategies 
Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's interesting all the stuff that the dynamics that happen, but I, I see it as the same stuff that's always going on. And the press just chooses to cover or highlight, um, things more than others. Who, who is the biggest threat to the United States from your perspective? I would say right now, North Korea, you know, which we'll get into with T.O. So, right. Yeah. North Korea, in my, my opinion. And again, it's just something that's, that situation's always been, um, pretty much where it's at now with that threat, you know, of them continuing to build their nuclear program and stuff like that. It's being highlighted right now until something else comes along. You know, North Korea isn't a new player in this game. Yeah. They've always been a communist state and, um, you know, the propaganda and stuff they run there is always about, is always the same. And the games they play with, you know, uh, arresting journalists and Americans over there, um, just messing with us. And, um, but, but other than that, I mean, just them, test firing all these weapons just kind of throw it in our face when we're saying like you better stop it you know we're gonna slap your hand a couple times until we we end up like uh, carpet bombing you guys you know but you know in the same uh in the same breath you can't do that either because we're gonna look like uh you know we're gonna look like uh we're forcing our hand and trying to control uh the situation you know we don't want to be that necessarily that uh that influence either because then you have to any of the repercussions that come from that, you have to clean up. You know, it's kind of like uh, Afghanistan in the 80s, you know, uh, where we gave the Afghans a bunch of stinger missiles and stuff like that. And then, you know, after 9-11, we're trying to buy them back. Yeah. Um, and the weapons they've been using, though, pretty ineffective as of right now. That's the thing. Like, so I was looking through um, T.O.'s article, and he said how, um, and I'm calling the Odyssean T.O. like we did last episode, we always got to be safe not to reveal these guys' names. But he seems to, and we'll get into it with him, think they're not so much of a threat to the U.S. He's like, the, the main thing they're a threat to really is South Korea. Uh, I mean, I don't know your take on it. but Yeah, I've never been in that region before. I mean, I know that, you know, we're trying to get China to step in a little bit um, to help us out and leverage uh, North Korea on certain things with trade and, and import and export of, like, coal and fuel and stuff like that. But again, there's a dynamic to it all that people don't always see um, the end to. Um, you know, China's worried about, uh, on one hand, if they do, if they do help us out to try to control the situation um, and stop trade and stuff like that, the North Koreans aren't going to have the same quality of life, and all of a sudden China's going to have this big influx of refugees crossing over into China, and then it's like, what do they do? They don't want that problem, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ebb and flow type of deal and you you just kind of got to work it out as a situation or the hand you're dealt i think side note did you see the uh dennis rodman documentary the big bang in pyongyang of him going to north korea yeah i did where he's like totally oh faded God. the whole time and yeah it was so embarrassing <laughs> man what did you think of that because it's because people did say all right this american basketball superstar now has the um you know he's got the platform to actually do something good, bring some attention to some of the war crimes going on over there, because they kept bringing up to him Kenneth Bay, who was captured over there. And I think being tortured, it sounded like, but either way, being held in a Korean prison. I just think it's remarkable that the uh, their leadership over there um, sees Dennis Rodman as this big celebrity when he hasn't really been any, he hasn't been notable since Michael Jordan played in basketball. <laughs> so to have him over there, um, they see basketball as like a huge, uh, huge deal, you know, even the former players that played in the NBA. So for him that, you know, put on all this uh, pomp, and, pomp and circumstance 
sorry, I'm just really congested. It's hard for me to talk. But um, and then have Dennis Rodman go over there. Um, and then there's a the whole side or backstory about how the agency was going to try to like pitch him to, and who knows if they did, you know, uh, try to pitch him to, you know, uh, gain as much intel as possible. There's actually a James Franco movie about that. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, Seth Rogen, they went over there, uh, you know, and kind of did like a, a similar thing. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so the fact that Dennis Rodman did nothing for any kind of diplomacy uh, to push anything forward, make relations better, which is like a wasted effort. And like you said, he got shit two ways, wasted effort. Yeah. Yeah. And at the very end, for those who haven't seen it, um, from what I remember, it, the conclusion, he was supposed to go over to um, Kim John, Jim, Kim Jong-un, <laughs> Kim Jong-un's house um, at the very end, which like no one apparently has been over there and uh, you know eat dinner or whatever celebrate and then it, it got so embarrassing that he just kind of uh didn't like didn't invite him at yeah. the end so uh, Rob, and, I, and i think he immediately went to rehab like following this trip right it was which, just, good move but yeah it was just a mess but it, it did detail um some of the stuff like that you hear about the propaganda you hear about how they just have the streets lined uh that that are like you know just dialed in and squared away, freshly painted. That that they just bring you down on purpose, and you take a you take a side road, a block down, and it's just like ghetto trash, you know, garbage everywhere. And that's just kind of the impression. That's how I look at uh, North Korea, and I've heard many stories like that. I've never been there, but that's just kind of my impression of it. Yeah, you know, they try to gloss over everything and make. Of course, it, they're gonna give him like you know he's Dennis Rodman. They're gonna make it look like it's amazing to live in North Korea. You ever see that video on Vice of? Uh, this is the best of Dennis Rodman talking about breaking his dick three times. <laughs> no, I've never seen it. Only Dennis Rodman would have uh, a story like that. Should I pull it up before we bring on T.O.? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I just, I'm just like baffled by the fact that they would even, um, I don't remember what network it was on. Was that HBO or Showtime or something? I don't know. I, I know that you could watch The Big Bang in Pyongyang on, uh, on Netflix. Okay, if, maybe. If you guys listening want to check it out. Maybe that's where I saw it, but for him to be able to even have a show, Dennis Rodman, something where he's on, just the only reason that was ever uh, probably produced or anything like that is because of the access he was able to get that no one has seen before. Hey, this is Dennis Rodman. Let me show you how to break your dick three days. <laughs> I was on a boat one time in Dallas, Texas. They go out there all day long, you know, in the sun, drinking, drinking, party, 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 go to the bar out there at night, drunk as a motherfucker. It's this, this, my girlfriend, whatever. We in the back, we in the back of the boat, the big king size bed. You know, she said, we gotta have sex. She loves sex, man. So I, just try, I think I'm gonna try something different. She said, go over there, walk over there. I said, okay, I'll walk over there. She said, I want you to run and jump in my pussy. I said, all right, great. So I go run, run on the boat, and I die like this. I literally do. I'm like, oh, blood everywhere. I'm, I'm not going to play the whole thing because yeah, we don't need to play the whole thing. But it, if you guys want to check this out, look up uh, Dennis Rodman breaking break his three dick. times. And then the, so the, the thing that it ends with, though, is that the third time he goes to the doctor and he says that they bring in several nurses to look at this. Next thing he knows, there's pictures of his dick on the Internet. But he said, you know, and, and they were trying to, like, bribe him with it. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm, I'm Dennis Rodman. But uh once all these nurses came in, since it already happened to him two times, he was like, just give me the antibiotics or whatever. I've already been through this. I know what you need to do. He's like, just give me the pill. Unbelievable, man. That's got to be the most painful thing ever. 
why would you try to do like a belly flop onto um, a girl running across a yacht? Just like, what are the chances of actually being successful at that attempt? Yeah. But we've also kind of learned since we've seen the documentary, Dennis Rodman is not exactly like the most logical man. All right. We have to see if T.O. has seen the Big Bang in Pyongyang. So let's get him on. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, man? How you been? Nothing much. Nothing much. I'm doing good. Uh, I'm here with Drew Dwyer. I'm not going to lie, so I'll, I'll let the audience a little bit behind the scenes. <laughs> Prior to calling you, I got one digit off and some girl picks oh, okay. up, and it was weird. I didn't want to say your real name, so I'm like, is the uh, Odyssean here? <laughs> and uh, she's like, who? And at that point, I just had to hang up because that must have been the yeah, weirdest yeah, yeah. phone call she's ever gotten. <laughs> That's sure. funny. That's funny stuff. Yeah. Cool. No, this is me. I'm here. No chicks. <laughs> What's up, T.O.? It's Drew Dwyer. Hey, Drew. How you been, man? <clears throat> I'm good. I'm suffering a allergy attack for some reason all of a sudden within the last 10 minutes here in the studio, so I keep uh, sneezing and coughing and making Ian really Oh, hard. yeah. I've got <clears throat> I've got some kind of like throat congestion thing, so I'm like chugging water, and in a little while I'll just start with the vodka, I guess. But <clears throat> <clears throat> Outstanding. So where are you at right now? <laughs> Uh, I'm actually uh, stateside. I'm in Arkansas, uh, around oh. my hometown. See, I assumed you were in Japan because I, you know, I know you do some work over there, which I think we can't yeah. reveal yeah, yeah. that much. I, I, mean, I go back and forth. I'm back and forth pretty frequently. So Japan's um, a pretty big country, so I don't feel like I'm revealing anything too uh, secret. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd be. <clears throat> I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to track me down. Even if you you hit my neck of the woods over there, I'm like the only white dude around. People would be like, "You're looking for who? Wait, <laughs> what?" <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. That's um, great. Yeah, it's, it's it's always good to have you on. It's been a, a long time. I, I don't think I've told you this, uh, you know, and I won't reveal anything, but at the team room party, there were girls looking for the Odyssean, and I'm not going to reveal if you're there or not. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. I heard I was uh, there was some kind of game going on where the, they were trying to find me. So I, I heard some of the other readers had mentioned that um, I guess they had placed bets against each other on on who was going to pick me like who was going to find me in the crowd and uh i thought that was interesting maybe i should try to get in on that next year well i actually am glad you're back stateside because when i thinking you were in japan i was looking at the time zone difference and i was wondering is tio going to join us at 3 a.m japanese time because that'd be a pretty big <laughs> commitment i would have yeah it's like 240 in uh japan right now 240 a.m so yeah, I would. I, I carry weird hours anyway because you know part of that being back and forth. I don't. I don't think I have a real internal clock anymore. So I just uh, I sleep on planes and trains and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, everything's pretty sketchy over there right now. Um, there's uh, you know I, I did an article recently about the Japanese school kids and stuff yep. doing nuke drills and and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty weird over there right now. Yeah, no, we're going to get right into that. Uh, actually, the first thing I wanted to ask you, though, just because it was the subject that Drew and I were on, and I think you know this, this is the first ever show we're doing for members only, so you're yeah. a part of history here. Woohoo! <laughs> um, <in> the door. <laughs> during the intro, we were talking about that Dennis Rodman documentary, The Big Bang in Pyongyang. You ever see that? I, I watched parts of that a while back um, and wanted to get a hold of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I do know a little bit about it. I was actually having a conversation with somebody, what is today, Thursday? I guess probably Monday or Tuesday about that. It's on um, Netflix. You would you, love it. Is it? Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll definitely track that down while I'm here for sure. Good shit. All right, so 
just to give some background on on who the Odyssean is, and we're going to try our best not to say his real name, which is like very tempting <laughs> to. Uh, former Army intelligence, he's gone on to do data collection and analysis in the private sector, uh, mainly in Japan, as I mentioned, for over a decade. And the latest article, which you were just talking about, is Japanese government issues citizens DEFCON warning because of North Korea. And as you said, it is the picture of the children hiding under the desk, which is always kind of yeah. terrifying. Um, so what what is the mood like in Japan right now? Not that you're there, um, but. Yeah, yeah. So the, the mood, I mean, always, it's not like people hang out in coffee shops or sitting on the train, you know, all scared to death about North Korea. Uh, if the conversation comes up, everybody kind of reels back a little bit. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're releasing warnings and stuff on the news. And, uh, you know, they, it, it's kind of like a while back in the States, I think it was FEMA or DHS or somebody was releasing all these like tips and tactics on how to secure your house from, you know, chemical contamination and stuff with like plastic and duct tape on your windows and that kind of stuff. Um, so the Japanese government, is uh has released these pamphlets and they'll send out you know emails to people's cell phones and uh stuff like that just on hey guys if uh if you if we get a missile warning here's what you need to do uh if we get a nuke missile warning here's what you need to do if we have a uh, like a mass casualty 911 style terrorist event uh and you're in the area here's what you need to do and it's you know, it's pretty basic stuff like, uh, you know, close all your doors and windows and get under the table or or, the, or whatever. It's Japan, so, I mean, it ain't like they have normal-sized tables. Uh, you know, all their tables are low because jokers sit on the floor most of the time. But uh, um, it's, it's really generalized stuff. I don't think anybody uh, in the country can really put into context what would happen if North Korea nuked any place in Japan. Uh, there's There's no real way to prepare for that. And um, I don't, I don't know. You know, there are probably a couple of guys on the uh, in soft rep that remember this. But when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, we did nuke drills at school, and uh, it's the same junk. It's like getting under my desk isn't going to help me from getting vaporized. Yeah. Um, essentially, yeah. You know, and so um, I've seen the videos. I mean, I'm I'm 30 years old, so I didn't live it. And you you probably are too young too, right? But I mean, I've seen the videos in history of when they talked about it during World War II and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and growing up, uh, you know, growing up in what I call the Red Dawn era, um, you know, we we did nuke drills when I was in grade school. Probably stopped that in about fourth grade, and uh, you know, we would get these weird like briefs every year, like, "Hey guys, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a nuclear blast. If you're looking at it, you're going to go blind, and it's going to you know rip your skin off, and uh, you'll be dead. So don't worry about it. But get under your desk, and uh, you know, I mean, this is the kind of shit we had to do when I was in like second, third, fourth grade, and uh, um, so that's the kind of junk they're going through now. They're just like rehashing the shit that we told people, uh, during the cold war. And, um, but you know, part of, part of, I guess the, the, the social angle of that is that they want everybody to be aware of, of what could happen. What's, what, what is, you know, potentially on the horizon. I don't think anybody thinks Japan's going to actually get nuked. Um, but socially they, uh, they want that information out to everybody, all the civilians, uh, it's also weird the way information gets passed out in Japan. I mentioned this in the article, and I can't remember if I, if I did or not. But uh, So you, you actually, in a Japanese house or apartment, you have a speaker box on your wall, exactly like the speaker box you had in your classrooms in school, like growing up. And uh, it's a speaker box, and that shit is attached to 
um, like whatever village or town you're in. So even though you will get a notice on your cell phone instantly, the moment any, any, anything happens in your area, it's like an Amber alert. Your, your phone will go haywire. It'll give you a, a quick blurb about uh, what's going on and what you need to do. And um, I used to get those for earthquakes and, uh, and shit all the time. Sure. And I haven't in a while. But um, so, so this speaker box on your wall, this is for the cats that don't have smartphones. And the exact same message will be spoken out over that speaker box. And you can't even turn that thing off. Like, well, at least none of the ones I've ever had. Like, I had to get in and, like, take the wires out um, and, and just disconnect the thing. But there's no switches on it. And, and it's so the, uh, the community can disseminate information out to the, to the citizens in that community. And I mean, that's nothing. We don't have anything like that here. You know, if your TV isn't on and your radio isn't on, uh, you basically don't get any any information unless you get like a tweet or something like that. Well, um, we, we have so the way, you know the phone alerts as you mentioned because it has happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and again, we get we get it for like an Amber Alert, which most of the time, yeah. I mean, it's I, yeah. I understand why they do it, but yeah, and you know it's 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 one of those things. But there's no way I don't think in the states there wouldn't be any possible way people would be like, yeah, sure, you can put a speaker in my kitchen. <laughs> um, you know, to, I mean, they're just, I mean, that, hey, that wouldn't it, happen, but I was going to say that we, you know, we do have that. What's the Amazon thing that people are buying, um, where it records what you're saying and your commands and all oh, that. Yeah. 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 Alexa. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you, uh, I you wouldn't, yeah, but yeah, that, and you wouldn't think that if you, if you knew what an iPhone was capable of 10 years ago and you explained it to the average American of it'd be able to track your, where you are. Um, you know, it, it, it's able to identify your voice and your fingerprint. I don't think that most Americans would be on board, but we slowly get conditioned to more and more overreach, whether it's by government or by private companies like Apple. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and so I, I think I had mentioned in the article about how, uh, so um, you will get an alert on your phone based on your location. So even if, uh, you know, even if I'm out of, of my area, I mean, uh, Japanese cell phones don't really have uh, area codes, but you do have a number sort of based on where you got your phone, where you registered your phone. And um, so I could be hell and gone from the place I got my phone. You know, like I could be down in Tokyo or something. And if there's some emergency in Tokyo, they know I'm in Tokyo, right? They know that my device is in an area. And so if there's some kind of emergency in Tokyo, I will get an alert saying like, Hey man, you're at this location. You need to get the hell out of there or you need to go to this place or whatever it is. Um, it's also interesting because I can set the language preference. I don't know how many languages you can choose from. I just set mine to English. So when it prompts me, when I get a, a, uh, it beeps and buzzes and goes crazy. And then I've got a text and that text will be in English because I set my language preference to English. And, um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, they, they know, I don't think there's any, you know, it's possible, I guess, to, to use that stuff for nefarious aims, but uh, it's, it's crazy to me that I can, I can disengage the location function on my phone in Japan, and yet the emergency system knows exactly where I am. Yeah, um, and Amazon uh, Echo was what I was talking about, by yeah, the way. Yeah, Echo, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking it was like Uno or Echo or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was looking through the article, and it seems like your analysis is basically that North Korea is most likely not a threat to the U.S. or Japan, and that the, the biggest threat that they are is really to South Korea. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I think, I think it's... Uh, 
it's very, very, very probable that um, uh, I guess in the intelligence community, I would say I could assess with high confidence. Right, I'm I'm pretty damn sure that that North Korea doesn't really have uh, the wherewithal to really affect America the way we say they are. So I guess I started working North Korean doctrine the first time, like before the GWAT. Um, so uh, when you would go through the intel schools, uh, at least in the Army, it kind of circulate, you'd cycle through, and, and each class would have like a different doctrine or whatever. And uh, so I learned North Korean doctrine, and that's that's how I learned how to analyze and do order of battle and, and, and learn how to plug U.S. forces against uh, you know, whatever template force and my template force with North Korea. So we do all these briefs and learn all this bullshit about North Korea. This was back in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And, um, so even then, like we, we learned, I mean, it wasn't anything sensitive or anything like that. Uh, we, we learned that North Korea had what back then was called NBC, right? Nuclear biological chemical, um, agents that they could engage the battle space with and uh but they didn't have delivery they didn't have launch they don't have an air force that can fly over here and drop a bomb on somebody they don't have launch capability to uh to get a missile over or anything like that and uh in uh i, I did a, a brief you know it was one of my practice briefs when i learned how to brief you know decision makers and shit like that and i did a, a practice brief on how i assessed that the North Koreans were, were never going to try to drop a bomb on anybody or, or launch anything any, anywhere. Uh, they were going to man-carry uh, some dirty-ass nuke or Kim or bio agent in a backpack um, because that was their most likely... Uh, that's the, that was their most likely delivery system. They don't have... You know, they got submarines. I think they're still using, like, diesel submarines and shit that we used during World War II. And uh, so, so it isn't like those guys. I mean, they're, they're 14, 16 time zones away from from the United States, unless you're talking Hawaii or Alaska. But uh, if you want to hit like a real serious, serious target, I mean, you're looking at some place like uh, like the uh, Seattle Tacoma area or like Frisco Bay, something like that. Uh, if you get any further south than that, you're dealing with a greater distance. It just becomes implausible. Um, and it's the same. It's the same thing for Japan. I don't think that the North Koreans are going to nuke anybody. I don't think they're going to launch a missile. I, personally, um, I think all this launch bullshit is just. It's like we're watching a magic trick, and and this all this launch bullshit is the hand we're supposed to be looking at while they do the other magic trick, like the actual magic trick with their other hand. And um, uh, I think it's all this launch thing is it's, it's all bullshit. They don't have reach. Uh, we got like Aegis class response systems uh, that can that can knock. I mean, I did an article about the the Japanese and the United States working on a program together somewhere between uh, Hawaii and Japan, where they entered they, one ship uh, acquired, tracked, intercepted, and neutralized a fucking ICBM in orbit. That was the first time, as far as I know. Uh, you know, according to the reports and stuff, that was the first time in, in human history that anybody had done that. Um, we can do that with other assets, but this was a ship-borne um, response system. And so, I mean, we have those Aegis-class ships uh, around in that area. So, I, mean, I don't think anybody, I think any of your, your air defense artillery dudes and your missile defense guys are all like, there's, there's just no fucking way that the North Koreans can launch a missile here and, and affect any damage because we have you know uh, overlapping systems that that we designed to counter russian 
ICBMs in the 60s and 70s, which are a damn sight tougher than what the Koreans have now. Um, the Japanese even have those missile defense systems, and the Koreans know that shit, so they're not going to waste their time launching shit at Japan. The Japanese and the Americans know that North Koreans uh, infiltrate, like ingress, egress, Japan all the time. They find the little mini-subs and the little mini-sub tracks and shit off the, off the coast, just underneath the ocean. So it would be easier for the North Koreans to use their 1980s-era SDV, swimmer delivery vehicle, a little mini-sub thing, to shoot a couple of guys over to Japan, scuttle that shit offshore, walk into the nearest metropolitan area, and pop their dirty backpack. Like, that, I mean, that's, that's like bargain basement prices for, for absolute return. And uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's what I think. I think all this launch stuff is just bullshit. And uh, uh, the fact that we don't concentrate openly, I guess, on the larger issues, like the fact that North Korea doesn't have a delivery uh, for that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's kind of insane to me. Which leads us back to what I said about, like, the North Korea, South Korea. North Korea exists almost entirely because South Korea exists. South Korea exists militarily um, almost entirely because North Korea exists. Uh, and the only reason those two fucking places are things on the, on the game grid is essentially to counter the other one. And I said in my, in my article about Segdef Mattis going to East Asia, I mean, the dude spent, like, a number of hours, just hours in South Korea, and he essentially just gave them a thumbs up and told them to maintain status quo. Then he hopped across the pond to Japan and was like dealing with, with global strategy uh, involving partnerships with Japan and increasing their regional influence and their global influence. And uh, when, when you look at that kind of stuff, you see where he's investing his time because he's expecting a return. He didn't invest any time in South Korea because they're not going to be able to do anything um, outside of being able to counter a North Korean threat. Um, and that's really all North Korea can fuck with. They know they can hit South Korea. They know that when the shit hits the fan and they're just trying to stack bodies, their absolute best option uh, is to hit South Korea. And everybody in South Korea knows that. I mean, if you ever, you know, it's not a deployment, but it's an unaccompanied tour. If, you, um, if, you ever, if you're ever stationed in South Korea, they, they cover all that bullshit with you. They're like, hey, guys, here's the, you know, standard shit. Here's how we respond. Here's how they respond. And you know, two days later, the whole fucking peninsula is a smoldering mass, and everybody from all over the planet's coming there to pick up the pieces. But uh, that was not a short answer. Sorry. It was good, though. Very informative. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Hey, what's the reason? What do you think the reason is for them posturing like this, though? What's the gain in them uh, showing, like, this uh, strength of force and, you know, doing these missile tests? What's for them to gain in this besides... Um, us looking at them harder and, uh, you know, under a microscope? Yeah, that's actually a fantastic question. And, and, and uh, it's, it's one that I've thought about. I, I don't know, you know, so, so technically the, the leader of North Korea is still uh, the current dude's grandfather. I mean, even though he's dead and his father's dead and shit like that, um, they still look at that guy as being the leader. So I don't, I don't know, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if... Uh, if the current Kim, like, you would think he would want to maintain a status quo. Like, I got all this shit. I got all this free stuff. I don't have to work. Like, people are still starving, but big deal. Um, so, you know, they're, they're to the point now where they're pissing off their only friend on the planet, which is uh, China. 
you know, China has abstained from voting against them or for them in uh, UN Security Council resolutions and shit like that. Uh, you know, they're not buying their coal anymore. Um, so, I, like I, you know, like I had said about the magic trick thing, my, my only guess is that they're doing something else. Uh, under the radar and they're doing all this posturing and like show of force bullshit, all these like effects, these, these, these battle space effects, they're doing all this bullshit to get everybody specifically to focus in on that. You know, they keep saying they got nukes and maybe they do and maybe they don't. And, um, but as long as we're hyper-focused in on, on that, then we're not paying attention to, uh, to, you know, whatever the hell else it is they're doing. Um, I, I haven't followed up on this fact in a while, and I meant to do that. But uh, a few years ago, and, and, and Drew, you, you may remember this. So a few years ago, I don't remember exactly what it is. North Korea, I mean, it's like some kind of hunt for Red October shit. North Korea pops up and is like, hey, guys, uh, sorry uh, to bother everybody, but we've lost one of our submarines in the Pacific. And, um, and everybody laughed. Ha, 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 they lost the sub. You guys are, are you know, rookies. And, um, I mean, even, even our, like the, the, the PACOM, all the dudes in, uh, in, uh, like the Pacific fleet, it was a joke. North Korea lost the sub. They don't know where it is. Ha ha. And, and I asked the question at the time, I was like, well, cool. Do we know where it is? <laughs> and everybody was like, no. And it's like, so how is that a joke? Those guys come to us and tell us that they lost a sub. We don't know where the sub is. And, and so now, like, you know, kind of back to what I said, now we have a delivery system here. Like, they can park a fucking submarine anywhere around the Pacific. They can get there. And if they're running diesel subs, I mean, I realize those things are, like, whack antiquated and shit like that. But if I understand correctly, I'm not a Navy guy. We got a couple of Navy dudes, you know, on staff for software. And that they we do. Stuff, but do what? No, that we do. We've got everybody. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we got a couple of Navy dudes who could probably, and, and especially uh, Coriolanus is, is he probably knows uh, a lot more about sub shit than I do. But, but if I understand correctly, with a diesel sub, you can basically shut that fucker off, and it will sit there, and it's just a fixture in the subaquatic landscape, and you can't sense that it's there because it's not making any noise. Um, and uh, so they, they they can be sneaky. They're old and shitty, but they can be sneaky. And, um, so, so that's one of those things, like you say that, that, so five years ago, they lost a sub or however long ago it was. And then now, <clears throat> you know, phase two or three or, or four of whatever they're doing is it's like, okay, dudes, let's amp up these fake ass missile tests, uh, or let's, let's amp up, uh, these, these fake ass nuke tests or real ones. It doesn't matter if they're fake or real. It's, it's a show, uh, it's a show of force to get us specifically to focus in on what they're doing. And, you know, that's the thing about it being nuke. Whether they got nukes or not is not important. They know that if they say, hey, we got nukes and we got launch, that is the number one card they can throw on the table that absolutely everyone is going to hyper-focus on. If they showed up and said, hey, guys, we've got a, uh, we've got a, a North Korean equivalent to the A-10 or whatever it is. Hey, guys, we've got, you know, we've got massive uh, uh, cyber capability now. A few people would look at that and be like, hey, that's pretty cool. But you say you throw the nuke word out on the table and, like, everybody's paying attention. Everyone's hyper-focused in on that. Um, and, you know, regionally, North Korea has always been that, that weird-ass boogeyman because they've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, barely not starving troops that are just hanging out. 
waiting to attack North Korea, or South Korea. And, um, you, you know, I, I, so in terms of the leadership, I don't know, I don't know what the hell, uh, Kim, dictator Kim has uh, in store, or if he's got, you know, some top-level generals that are making these kind of weird-ass decisions. I can't imagine that the dude is that savvy uh, with decision-making process. Somebody probably rolls up to him and is like, hey, bro, we're going to do this, and he throws him a thumbs up. It's like, cool, I don't know shit about politics or military, so you do it, I'm going to go get my hair cut. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so, so the, the kid, I mean, it's not like he went to military school or anything like that. Like he doesn't know anything. He's a figurehead. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I can't imagine that he's actually making decisions, but at the same time, uh, he's the first fucking dude, uh, in that country that will, I don't know, feed top level generals to dogs or, you know, yep. execute top level generals with fucking anti-aircraft guns. Like the dude does weird shit. Pretty scary um, shit. Yeah, I mean it's 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 weird, but but I mean I completely I completely uh, you know agree with your question, Drew. In terms of like what's the game, I I mean I, I guess I could probably sit down for a few months and really pour into it, but they, ultimately I think with that country, whether it's uh, whether it's the, the dictator calling the shots or these these top level generals and admirals calling the shots, it's a waiting game. Every single day North Korea exists as a nation, they are at a negative. They are, they are never moving into a positive. The people are only getting hungrier. The country's only getting poorer. You know, uh, I remember reading a while back that the number one cause of death in that fucking country is window, air conditioner window units falling off their, like, project block apartments and killing people on the road. Um, I, I don't know if that's true, and I didn't really gut check that, but I did read it from it. Was, it was a positive source, but... Um, you know, so so if those guys just hang out and wait and and do nothing, they're at a deficit every single day. They're passing into a negative. So at some point, they're going to cross some event horizon where they they have to make some kind of decision to do something. You know, and if if uh, if they start throw, I don't know, you know, if they if they start throwing this nuke card at everybody, and then the the UN Security Council rolls in and it's like, all right, fuck it, you guys are done. Uh, we're we're sending in humanitarian forces, and uh, that that way all the generals can be like, shit, it wasn't us. You know, he made us do it. He was going to kill us and feed us the dogs. <laughs> um, you know, nobody's getting tried for war crimes. Uh, everybody gets you know forty acres and a mule or whatever uh, from the UN. And uh, and then the people get fed. You know, I, I don't know, but but the decision makers stick into the status quo every single day in that country. Every single day, that status quo hits a negative. With uh, with what you were saying, the reaction is like in Japan with children hiding under the desk and just the threat of nuclear war. It, it got me to thinking about how. I always have heard people say, why do we even have a military presence in Japan? Nothing is going on there. Is in this a waste yeah. of money? Um, do you think the attitude of that is changing with with the threat of North Korea that maybe it is important? Oh, yeah, to have a yeah, yeah, in yeah, Japan? for sure. And that was another thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I wanted to talk about it was uh, so socially the government disseminates all this information down like all their lines of communication. Like it's on the news, it's on the radio, it's on your phone, it's come through the speaker in your kitchen. Uh, you know, they're talking about it in their morning announcements at school, all this shit. And um, so another thing that does is the government, we know that the current uh, administration in Japan wants to be more militarized. Um, in addition to a number of other, uh, a number of other things, you know, they want to be more economically viable and shit like that. But uh, so 
the, the only glitch in the Japanese government becoming more militarized is the fact that they have no social backing in that. Uh, and I'm not saying that the Japanese government is fear-mongering by saying, hey, guys, we can get new, because that's a legit, uh, although improbable, that's a legit fear. So I don't think they're fear-mongering exactly. Um, so so putting that shit, putting all that stuff down, all your lines of communication, um, you know, all your channels, hey, guys, get ready for this, hey, guys, get ready for that. Uh, the, the entire country is already braced for tsunamis, uh, earthquakes, volcanoes. A couple years ago, they started getting tornadoes on a regular basis. Um, well, on a more regular basis. And uh, so, so adding to that list threats of like mass terroristic violence or explosions slash nukes, uh, they've already got the template in place to put everybody on sort of an emergency posture. Uh, and so doing that now with the military uh, now means that you've got third graders that are growing up with nuke drills. And it's like, well, yeah, war is bad, but we've got crazy motherfuckers right across the pond that, that are all about having war happen. So we need to have dudes that can counter their dudes. So it's not really war, but, uh, you know, whatever. And so, so putting that consciousness into the school kids means that as they become junior high, high school, college, or, or hit the workforce – it's it's commonplace for them to realize that there has to be a a military um, presence, I guess, or posture. There has to be a defensive posture for those guys uh, to counter all the crazy ass people in the region. And I mean, essentially, you know, we keep talking about like North Korea being a bad guy, and then we mentioned South Korea and Japan. South Korea and Japan have the same fucking relationship, basically, as North Korea and Japan. They hate each other. Um, and and so it isn't like Japan and South Korea are ever going to have a military engagement, although they, they are technically involved in a lot of uh, conflicts, um, you know, over islands and shit like that. Wait, why? I'm South just wondering, Korea. why is that for people who don't know that, that uh, South Korea and Japan are, are not allies the way that we are? Um, so uh, South Korea and Japan. None of the countries in, in the Far East get along. None of them. Uh, South Korea hates North Korea. North Korea hates South Korea. Everybody hates Japan because of the Pacific War, or, or what, you know, what we call the Pacific World War II in the Pacific. They just refer to it as the Pacific War. Um, you know, the, the, the Korean twins hate each other for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, the country was one place and it split. Um, Japan kind of owned all that bullshit prior to that happening. Uh, Russian Far East, uh, it used to be called Russian Far East, now it's just Russia. Uh, the Russian Far East is in on that because the Russians were involved in a war with Japan during World War II and after World War II. Um, so uh, China and Taiwan, right? China and Taiwan don't even recognize that the other one exists, uh, also like the Korean twins. The one doesn't recognize the other officially. So, so everybody hates the – it's easy for everybody to hate the Japanese because sure. of the Pacific War. Um, it, it's a little more complicated than that because China and or, sorry Japan and Korea have had a real complicated relationship for about 400 years, um, and even though there's there's a lot of weird historical documentation where the Koreans are like, hey, the Japanese tried to conquer us and take us over, and then the Japanese are like, dudes, we have letters from your king right here hmm. requesting our assistance. You know, I mean, there's, it, it it gets sketchy and complicated, but uh, but but fundamentally, everyone in the Far East. Uh, hates Japan, and it's mainly because of the Pacific War. Uh, but basically, nobody there likes the other person. The only two countries that really get along, well, I would say like get along, get along, 
are uh, Taiwan and Japan. And that's because Taiwan ain't got no friends in the region either. Um, and even though they got screwed super hard by the Japanese during World War II, somehow Taiwan is like, we're besties. <laughs> Tons of, there's a huge business arrangement between the two countries. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the president of Taiwan always visits Japan and, uh, you know, trying to get, you know, relationships between universities and uh, all that kind of stuff. But um, um, South Korea... Uh, also has a real problem with the way Japan treated them during their last occupation. I want to say there's been two, maybe three Japanese occupations in Korea, but uh, uh, during the last one, you know, there's a whole thing about the the uh, uh, what they call them the, the comfort women, uh, the indentured prostitutes okay. during the Japanese occupation of Korea. And uh, um, I I can't remember. I think I wrote an article about it, but I can't remember if I did or not. But uh, um, you know, recently, like last few months. Uh, Japan went to South Korea to try to try to patch up their relationship, and uh, North Korea's first complaint was, "You got to give us reparations for these comfort women." And Japan was like, "Shit again." Okay, cool. Um, what do you need? You know, like, what do you want? Give us a number. Like, give us a price tag, and uh, and we'll we'll negotiate. So South Korea said, "Hey, we want this much money," and, and Japan said, "Okay, dudes, if we give you this money." This shit is done. We're not talking about it anymore. There's not going to be any more parades. We're not doing monuments. Uh, you guys aren't going to uh, allow riots and shit anymore. Uh, and we're going to put this in the past, and we're going to move forward as a nation. Uh, you know, it's two nations trying to get along with each other in a really sketchy region. So <clears throat> South Korea legit, like, cashed their last check, used the money to fund a new monument and then sponsored more demonstrations and uh, protests against the Japanese with the fucking money that the Japanese paid them for closure. And and Japan was like, "Cool, we're done. Like you just bought our relationship. That was it. <laughs> you just you you bought it for that money. So so we're done." Uh, there was a there was a, a bit of time where all the Japanese diplomats and like military types went back to Japan. All South Koreans went to uh, went back to South Korea. And I think they've reestablished that relationship now based on the United States, you know, based on the new administration, Segdef Mattis going over there and stuff. But uh, it's uh, it's really a bunch of childish shit for the most part. I mean, everybody's got a legitimate bitch against everybody um, over there, but but people are not being adults about trying to sort that shit out. Um, everybody over there has done bad shit to everybody else. And uh, uh, a lot of the way Asia works is drudging up shit from the past. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's territorial disputes, hey, we own this island. No, you don't. We own this island. No, we got a map that's 2,500 years old that has that island on it. It's like, what are you talking about? 2,500 years. So, so there's not a country in, in all of Northeast Asia that is the same nation it was 120 years ago. Right. Uh, the Russian Empire, is, you know, then became the Soviet Union, is now the Russian Federation. Uh, neither of the Koreas are the same. China went through a communist re- revolution. Taiwan, uh, you know, didn't even exist. Uh, and Japan, once it surrendered uh, to us after World War II, they had to revamp their entire thing. You know, they, 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 the emperor is still there as a figurehead, but he's not descended from the sun goddess or any shit like that. So, so not a single country in the region is the same nation it was, you know, 100, 120 years ago. But everybody wants to, to lay claim to shit that happened prior to that. 
unless it's a bad thing. You know, like the the the, the Japanese are, are pretty. Um, uh, they, they're constantly saying like, "Well, hey, that, that wasn't really us. We're we're the current nation of Japan. That was imperial, like militarized Japan. After the surrender, we ceased to be that nation. We have a constitution now. We're a constitutional monarchy." You know, we have a, a slight republic system in terms of people voting on certain people. Um, so, again, back to, like, the, the, the child's play and the schoolyard tactics bullshit. Like, everybody wants to cry foul as long as it's not against them. And uh, so, as a result of that, no one ever, none of the fucking problems ever get solved. Um, and, of course, the biggest flare-up in that is North and South Korea, because they're the two, uh, they're, they're, they're mili- highly militarized and hyper-focused on the other one, whereas every other country in the region, whether they're militarized or not, they're doing other shit globally. Um, again, not a short answer. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, just speaking on the your background in intelligence and things like that, um, we were talking the other day, the last podcast, about the WikiLeaks um, situation and the founder being handed the documents um and it was believed to be from a cia um staffer um yeah do you is uh it's it's been in the news a lot lately but do you find this uh they're kind of going on a witch hunt do you think it's going to be productive or uh you know have you heard anything do you have any insight on on this story uh i know a little bit i saw the blurbs you know through facebook and and just stuff that people had sent me i think um I think these leaks, I think all these leaks and shit are, are crazy out of hand. Um, I think that a part of the, all the leaks kind of go back to the fact that like when I first got into the intelligence community, um, not everybody had clearances. You know, you had to work for a secret clearance. You had to work for a TS clearance. You had to work for CI, uh, SCI access and like your SSBIs and shit like that. And then right after the GWAC kicked off, man, they were tossing security clearances out of, like fucking halloween candy and that, and that and, ties um, into what you were saying on the last podcast drew how you just had access to everything and stuff that you probably feel that you should yeah yeah well i mean and it's still it's still the same if you have sci access you can roll into a skiff and pull up all kinds of fucking stuff that is just absolutely does not pertain to your lane um and and so yeah i, I think what happens is there was an irresponsible level of of clearance tossed out to everybody. And, you know, damn near half the time, uh, or more than half the time, like you said, staffer, right? It's a staffer. It's not even like an intelligence operator or a collector or a collection manager or an officer. It's a fucking staffer, you know, somebody that got clearance sort of based on their position, but didn't get a clearance based on their role with that intelligence and with the products. And, uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, you can get access to all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, you scroll through any of the recruiting sites, right, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and uh, Coast Guard, and uh, you can take somebody like a, a fucking, uh, I'll do like a cannon crew member. So take an artillery guy from the Army. Most of those jobs require a secret clearance because of the technology they're working on. Some of those jobs require a TS clearance with SCI access, which means I can be a fucking Canon crew member. As long as I have access to a skiff, I can pull up all kinds of fucking information. Like I throw my cat card in the machine and it, it, it allows me access to all kinds of shit. So, so when I got my first SCI, like sensitive compartmentalized 
information, right? Compartmentalized. I have access to the shit in this box. The shit that's in that box over there does not concern me. You know, and in movies in like the 80s and shit like that, it's like, oh, that's need-to-know basis, need-to-know, need-to-know. Well, fuck, now if you've got a clearance, you basically have access to all kinds of shit. Um, you know, and they, they, people talk about like saps and shit like that, you know, special access and, and, and that kind of crap. But uh, but when you when you have all this access, when you just pull up basically a Wikipedia of um, intelligence shit going on in the system, if you have access to a secure uh, terminal, you pull that shit up. And if you're if you're not if you're a staffer, if you're not actually a person that's that's jacking with that information as your profession, uh, you 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 may not really understand exactly. Even though they all took like the cyber awareness class and the uh, the opsec classes and the proset classes and all that bullshit, you, you may not exactly. Uh, have the responsibility level to have the right to access that information. Um, you yeah, know, rights and responsi- Yeah, rights and responsibilities are a balancing act. And 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 after the GWAT, everybody sort of had the right to access all this information, but nobody had the real responsibility level to deal with that. Right, and there was there was a huge influx. I I went into the agency um, just after nine eleven, and so I was actually at the tail end of my process. Um, just about to, to get in the door, but I saw that influx of just like pushing people through um, yep. to to just obtain the clearances and fast track them on to uh, you know get them in, get them uh, their badges, get them through orientation, and all of a sudden you had all these people that were really irresponsible um, just because of the, the the war happened, and you know that the the, um, the people with the most like the highest security clearance or I should say the most access are actually like janitors and security guards, you know, like they are the yeah. ones that can access yeah. any space and there's hardly anybody around. And, uh, I know, I know it, uh, you know, in the CIA, like the, the, uh, uniform security there, they have to do like routine checks inside the office spaces yeah. at night so they can go on the computers and pull up any, uh, combination to get inside of a skiff. And, and also the, uh, the the lock for the uh, safe they can get all the combinations for those and they have to go in there and they can check anything they want there's nobody around and uh you know those are the some of the biggest threats and that that's a fundamental job that's very that that doesn't require necessarily that access but uh ian and i were talking about this the wikileaks thing and it's going to be just i describe it as a witch hunt that it's pretty much a waste of time to determine who this person is it's first of all done with the damage is there um, I don't think it can ever be stopped necessarily, especially with the generation with social media and technology we have. It's just information is just going to get um, passed on or, you know, people are careless and things like that. So is it just uh, uh, kind of uh, just posturing uh, more or less from the government, just try, hoping for this to blow yeah, over? I mean, so you, you got to think you got to think about who's going to be trying to find that 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 leak. And that's going to be a counterintelligence guy. And, and every single fucking part of the intelligence community the CI dudes are about the the lowest number of dudes, you know. For you know, I mean, you take a you take an average military unit, and so for uh, you know, uh, basically for what you figure, a hundred intelligence professionals, you probably got three or four CI guys, maybe. Um, so, so when you look at shit like the FBI, that's already got its fucking hand in every possible pie it could be in. Now you've got because the FBI they're the primary prosecutors of, of counterintelligence, um, you know, for us for the United States. Uh, so you've got your CI guys that already are doing fucking SATA briefs and all that shit. Uh, now you've got that entire community that's going to try to find this one person. 
so uh, you've got you're gonna have thousands of fucking man hours to try to find one person. But like you said, the damage is done. So it is a witch hunt, but some fucking decision maker, you know, I refer to them as suits, uh, some suit wants a head on a chopping block. Exactly. Uh, they want a scapegoat, right? So so the damage is already done. And, you know, I mean, you know, the, the way the intelligence community works is uh, is access and placement. I, I harp on that sometimes in my audience, access and placement, right? So you got this one fucking staffer with, with access to all this information based upon their placement as a staffer. Well, once you take that, that physical thing, you can call it a, a smart stick or a, a manila envelope with fucking top secret stamped on it, whatever it is, that information, once you get it to WikiLeaks, every fucking person on the planet with internet access now has access and placement, right? So, so finding the person who did that uh, isn't going to do anything for, for anybody. They're not, they're not stopping that leak. The fucking hole is already in the hole. Is it, is it just about setting person, an example to you guys that, you know, that if you leak stuff, to someone like Julian Assange, you'll be put in jail. You know, th- that type of thing. I don't even know if it's yeah, that. I mean, uh, I, yeah, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, just real quick. I mean, I, you know, there's different motivation levels for doing this stuff, as you know, for, uh, you know, spying or espionage. You know, some people's motivation is money or uh, or, or vengeance or patriotism. And I now most of it I feel like that we see is uh, simply because people are just want to feel like they want to make bring things to the light, make it a, make people aware of what's really going on when, when half of the time they don't even really understand the replications or the, the, the end result of what the harm they could do. You know, they just see like the, the, the top, the, you know, the bottom layer of things and not like how much damage it actually can control by releasing this stuff and, and the relationships they can ruin with these countries we're, we're diplomatic with. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that goes back to, uh, to what we were saying about like a staffer versus, I hate to use the word operator, but like the, the person who's prosecuting intelligence operations, right? Your collectors and shit like that. So when you take somebody who, who isn't directly involved in the intelligence process, uh, they, they really don't understand that cause and effect. Uh, and I think you can see that in a lot of the intelligence community. When you get somebody who doesn't make any difference if you were a fucking leg infantryman, if you come out of uh, a uniform somewhere you know the direct result of of intel being fucked up, right? It's 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 bodies, our body, and uh, even though that's, I think that's an extreme example. That's still a, a possible uh, outcome. And when you deal with kids that have nothing against anybody that's been to college or gone to Ivy League schools or anything like that, but when you come into the intelligence community um, from an academic uh, perspective rather than an operational perspective, you you don't have experience in in the, that cause and effect of intelligence being fucked with. Uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't lose dudes in Iraq or, or you didn't lose buddies in Afghanistan or, or whatever. You, you don't have a, the, the direct life experience that would correlate to you being fucking terrified to divulge sensitive information to somebody. Um, and, and, you know, uh, again, I think those are slightly extreme situations, but, but now you've painted the spectrum. You got people at one end I mean, like, dude, when I got my clearance, we, we, I remember, I remember with crystal fucking clarity, my first, like, secure brief, we airlocked into the fucking skiff, and then, you know, like, unplugged everything, and, like, there were these hushed whispers about this information and shit, and then at the end, they were like, if you ever fucking use these two words (laughs) together, ever, outside this room, 
you were gonna we're gonna lock you in a room and throw away the fucking room. You know, I mean, I was terrified, and and then then uh, you know a few years ago, uh, the shit like I can wiki that shit now. Wiki, it's all it's all open. Like it's not a sensitive thing, dude. I would have never whispered those two fucking words to anyone ever outside of a secure, a secure setting. Was I terrified of going to jail? No, but it's an integrity thing, right? I said I wouldn't do it. Took an oath. I, I swore. I, I signed here and the NDAs and all that shit. And when you come from a community outside of that, you don't you don't have that sort of like weird indoctrination process. And so, like you said, Drew, about like the uh, uh, about like just bringing information to light. I think that there's this weird, like perverted hacker ethos with people who come from an academic environment. Like it's a need to know. I need the people need to know. People don't need to know half the fucking bullshit they know. And one of the reasons that the fucking populace is as stupid as it is, is because it, it gets inundated with fucking information that it cannot gut check. They were never the average fucking human on earth, much less the average American, does not have the cognitive capacity because they don't have the training or experience, does not have the cognitive capacity to run information through a, a critical analysis. Hey, this information is bullshit because of X, Y, and Z. The average fucking human can't do that. Well, we saw so, we saw that so much during the election of, of how uninformed oh, yeah. people were. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. And um the uh sorry, I'm I'm forgetting people's no, quoting no, 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 Coriolanus. Because uh, you're the Odyssean, I, I, I almost confuse you guys. So Coriolanus, when when he said how the reaction was of people saying, "Oh my God, Russia tried to influence our election," and his response is basically, "Yeah, we do that all the time. We try to influence people's yeah, elections, and this is yeah. absolutely nothing new." But I think we're in this age where, especially younger people and academics, as you're saying, feel that they need to know all the information out there. Nothing should be secretive. And it's a shock that any country is spying on another country or trying to influence their uh, their election. And, and this is normal shit. It is. And yeah, yeah. It, w- it would be news if Russia wasn't fucking doing that. Um, well, but, you know, I- I'm also of the mind because I, I try to run pretty fucking tight uh, compartments. But-, but when you've got CIA staffers going to fucking Julian Assange and giving them, like, fucking packets of information, like... Um, part of that is the absolute fucking lack of tight compartment on the part of, I mean, the CIA or, or whatever person is leaking that shit. It's the same thing with like Ed fucking Snowden, man. Uh, like the, the dude, the, everything about that guy is, is almost a fucking myth, right? The dude stole a username and password. That guy did not have access and placement, right? He, he usurped, right? He stole access uh, in order to get information. And, and then instead of doing the thing, like, cause he keeps saying, Oh, uh, you know, I did it. Cause uh, this information should come to light. Like the American public needs to know this. So I'm going to go to the first fucking communist country I can think of, uh, in order to be safe. Like, all right. Yeah, that's absolutely fucking implausible. And, and, and so when, when you, uh, when you're dealing with, with people like that, that think this bullshit should be free and shit like that, the 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 spin that the media puts on any of that shit, you know, back to Russia. Oh, Russia's fucking with the election. Russia's yeah. fucking with the election. Well, you know, there's a way you can respond to that to essentially neutralize that information, and that's with with counter that's with a counter information operation. Um, and when you're dealing with so when the information's out there, 
right? And politicians do this all the time. Oh, uh, hey, we got you in a hotel room with a 12-year-old boy. Shit. They have a person that works for them that spins that stuff, right? And uh, that's just an information operation. So when you're dealing with individuals, uh, like Ed Snowden or this fucking staffer or uh, whatever Manning's first name is now. Um, yeah, we were saying that the other day. Chelsea, Bradley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so when, you're, when you're dealing with those fucking people, um, one of the reasons we have this problem like we already addressed was that he just brought in like fucking la dotty everybody and gave them a clearance. Uh, nobody had been really gut checked. Nobody had gone through this sort of, uh, um, you know, in, indoctrinative process on on how this information should be respected. Um, yeah, that and, uh, uh, I went. I went from literally. I went from uh, TS to TSSEI yeah. from a fifteen minute uh, sit down uh, lecture, yeah. basically. Course, I, I, I hand to God, that's what happened, and um, like along with what you're saying, the whole, you know, uh, based on the whole influx of people being hired from GWAT and stuff like that. And these Ivy leaguers that, um, feel like they're entitled to come onto these intelligence communities without the, like you're saying, the training experience and the team environment from, um, you know, being in a combat arms or any kind of a military affiliation. I had an instance when I was in Afghanistan doing a weapons buy and we had a brand new case officer, that was out with us, you know, we had, we had preset, uh, the, you know, our observation, uh, posts and, uh, plan the mission out. And then all of a sudden we get down to, uh, you know, the drop dead time and, you know, the car pulls up with who we're meeting with and, uh, they, you know, they open the trunk and there's all these weapon systems in the back and mostly, uh, just some loose ammo and the case officer who's supposed to be an expert in these, uh, the different, you know, weapon systems and the nomenclatures of everything, basically turns to us, leaves the meeting and, and is totally like dumbfounded on what his next step was. He basically had us, you know, we, and we knew, but like, this is his entire job to be an expert yeah, on yeah, this yeah. coming from Yale or Harvard, one of these Ivy league schools. I can't remember. And, you know, common sense is not always common. And like you were saying, there was such, there's such in a rush and perhaps it's the wrong like uh, way to proceed with things. But you know, some people say like some of the best uh, CIA people or just operators or, you know, just have street smarts, you know, it could maybe even be yeah. criminals because, yeah, yeah. you know, that just it's the it's just the day to day stuff, the the blue collar attitude and uh, being able to get by with those social skills that makes you uh, pretty successful compared to these guys with, uh, you know, that can write a term paper uh, with. The oh, yeah, yeah. Turnaround. But. You know, you can you can see that. Like, uh, I, I guarantee you, everybody that ever worked for a three-letter agency uh, as a civilian, um, they had a fucking person, and they're in processing. When they were sitting there, and it's like, hey, wait a second. Why the fuck is that guy a GS-11 and I'm a GS-8? And it's like, well, because he was in the Marine Corps for four years. Well, I graduated from fucking Yale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but education doesn't necessarily... Um, grant you well it doesn't education doesn't grant you experience and uh and i I guarantee we we all have fucking stories like that where somebody was like that's bullshit just because he he did this for four years and i did this for four years i should be getting paid what he's getting paid or or whatever it is and and i always in any of my my fucking monologues or rants i always refer to education and experience kind of together um because uh dude you can toss me the fucking uh you know, the coin manuals, or you can toss me the, the UW manuals or the, uh, the fucking source operation manuals all day long. 
and I can read them and I can memorize them and I can, you know, talk about it in my sleep. But if you don't have the, the actionable fucking experience prosecuting those things, you don't have any, it's not hardwired into your system. It's, it's soft wired, right? You, you, you have this theoretical concept of how to do this shit. Um, but if you don't, if you haven't ever done it, this shit isn't hardwired. It isn't like whatever the, the word, the other word for like muscle memory is. You, you, you don't, you don't have it, you know? And, and, uh, I talk about this all the time. Like, uh, I don't know if either of you guys ever watched the TV show Burn Notice. <clears throat> so uh, it was on a few years back. It was about the the CIA guy that uh, gets burned and he ends up like trapped in Miami. And uh, it's got this like 1930s era thing where he narrates a lot of shit. And so the first few episodes, he he he's narrating shit and he's talking about like uh, the, the 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 greatest thing that made him so good at what he did doing his creepy shit was that he grew up in a fucked up house. Like when a toy broke, he didn't get a new toy. He had to fix it. Uh, you know, you're dealing with like a, a, a really erratic parent or two parents that could be drunk or not, could be abusive or not. And so you start to pick up a lot of subtle nuances of, of people inadvertently, just because you've had to live with it for so long. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I laughed about that when I saw it years ago when the show was on because I was like, holy fuck, like some of the some of the most squared away fucking dudes I know uh, in, in this community or the operator community or, or, or the intel community or like the creepy whatever extra shit I do community is, some of those best dudes are, are always borderline fucking criminals, if not actual criminals, uh, borderline fucking degenerates, grew up from in like broken homes or like fucked up inner city situations where your situational awareness really just had to be above everyone around you and your ability to adapt uh, to, to highly fluctuating situations really needed to be on point or you were going to get your ass kicked or you weren't going to get to eat that day or whatever it is. And um, so, so yeah, when you're, when you're pulling somebody out of any college, doesn't matter if it's Ivy League or not, a fucking education, uh, in my experience, an education is an education. Um, you know, uh, let me sidetrack here. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie um, The Princess Bride. There's the scene where the, the dude's climbing up the cliff and they're just waiting to sword fight. They're going to get up and sword fight. And the dude was like, a uh, guy at the top is like, well, you take my word as a Spaniard. And the dude on the cliff is like, no good. I've known too many Spaniards. I'm like, you can't tell me. You can't come to me and be like, yeah, I vouched for this guy. He went to Yale. No sure. fucking good. I've known too many Yale graduates at this yeah. point. I've hey, known too hey, many Harvard grads. Hey, T.O., um, so as you were responding to that there, uh, you want to hear who just walked into the uh, studio and is making a surprise <laughs> appearance? Who? Who? Get on mic, man. <laughs> hey, what's... Am I up? Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? It's Brandon. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, boss? <laughs> Epic rant, dude. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> how's it going, man? It's good, man. I was just uh, out and about and wanted to uh, drop in and say hi to Ian. You got to check out the new studio in New York. It's pretty killer. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He posted man. some pictures uh, the other day, man. That ad- it's, it looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah if, if you uh, if you were on Skype... You know, because we have you on by phone, we'd we'd be yeah, able to yeah, maybe yeah. video you some uh, of how this looks, and yeah, it's looking pretty killer, man. I'm I'm very happy with it. Like, oh, yeah. and I can't really tell. Nick Cahill, he really did stepped it up, and 
Jason Kenitzer did an awesome job on all the graphics here. And yeah. We still have stuff we have to put up because we have all the. Names well, that's my personal over. shit over there in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. saw you put that online, but that yeah, no, we got a bunch more cool photos and stuff to put up in the in yeah, the office. Man. That's awesome. So you guys getting after it? What are you guys? What the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> Uh, what aren't we talking about? Uh, we were talking about, so we were talking about East Asia for a bit, and then we were talking about, like, WikiLeaks leaks, and then it was just like, uh, uh, why there's a problem in the intelligence community or operational community with people leaking fucking information, and, um... I just watched most I, of that. Yeah, go ahead. That, uh, have you seen that movie Snowden that Oliver Stone directed? No, no, uh, but interestingly enough, I, uh, I do have a poster of that movie signed by everybody in the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like Oliver Stone and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and all that shit, so uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to take that out for target practice. It's definitely that. a Snowden fluff piece, for sure. <laughs> like oh, yeah. Just... Well, see, I just, yeah, I, I mentioned that earlier before you came in about how almost everything about Edward Snowden is a, is a, is a myth. It's just this this fluffed up bullshit like you know he's some sort of uh intelligence community robin hood or some shit like the dude's a fucking dork man like he 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 said you know i said he stole username and password uh that movie's talking about how you know he was a he was a group guy and uh you know he was all this hula high-speed army shit and then he got into a three-letter agency and they put him on all these special projects like the guy was a fucking glorified admin for the vast majority of his government career. And um, it's just fucked up to me, because that's another thing. People say, like, well, we just want the people to know the truth. Well, that fucking movie couldn't have been further from the truth. So if you really want people to know the truth, then let's just be honest about everything. If we're going to be honest, let's be honest. And uh, uh, that whole fucking, what I've seen of the movie, like the trailer and a couple of the clips and stuff that people have sent me just... Uh, I want to fight that guy in real life. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's it's one of the things too. I think people have to realize it's just a fucking movie at the end of the day. Yeah. Also, but you know, he Oliver Stone does try and portray it. You know, heavy. They lead heavy with it. You know, based on true events. But yeah, knowing knowing what I know about Snowden's past, it just was definitely a kind of a glorified fluff piece. Yeah trying to make yeah. him look good which i think is how oliver stone got the rights was you know being very sympathetic to snowden and his story and getting him to i'm sure he still had to sign off on it even though he's hiding in russia yeah 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 i'm sure if if, if oliver stone would have gone over there and said hey bro we're gonna make this movie about you you're gonna look like a real fucking dick he would have been <laughs> like no no i'm not gonna sign that yeah exactly but uh yeah, it's it's pretty. It's, I need to I need to watch that. And then also, Ian had brought up that uh, we were talking about North Korea and brought up the uh, the Dennis Rodman. Yeah, you, like, Brandon, have you ever seen that uh, the Big Bang in Pyongyang, the Dennis Rodman documentary of him in North Korea? No, but I did. When I first moved to the city, I was meeting a, a friend for drinks at the Gramercy Hotel bar, and all of a sudden, like this big commotion breaks out, and it's like. I'm listening to this guy in the background. I'm thinking to myself, like, who is this obnoxious motherfucker that just walked into this bar <laughs> and just starts shouting? And and I look over, it's fucking Dennis Rodman, dude. Of course. And he literally just got off the plane from North Korea. So it, was just, it was just kind of funny. Um, 
And yeah. for, we were talking about it earlier. Apparently, right after he went to North Korea, checked into rehab, which you could tell was uh, well needed because he is just a mess. <laughs> the, one of the funniest scenes in that movie, too, because uh, you said you've seen the whole thing through was where they make that CNN appearance uh, with Chris Cuomo to talk about if he's going to speak up for Kenneth Bay. And, uh, sorry, what's up? No, yeah, and they're all, I, I'm just acknowledging that I saw that scene. Yeah, and they're all sitting oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, sitting at that table, right? And so they had some prior meeting without Dennis Rodman that were like, that, where these players are basically saying, hey, look, if, we, if they ask us any of these political questions, let's just dodge it, say we're here to play a basketball game, we're here to share something we love with the North Korean people. And, uh, like, they do a good job of, of how to spin this. And then when they go live on TV, Dennis Rodman's in the room, all these other basketball players, they're in suits, they're trying to look presentable. He's got a cigar in his hand. He's, you know, he's looking like Dennis Rodman. And they ask him about Kenneth Bay. And he starts cursing on, on CNN with Chris Cuomo. And you could tell these other NBA players are just like, shut the fuck up, Dennis. Like... This is not the place for you to go on your rent. But he's just drunk that whole trip in, in North Korea. It's, uh, man, if you guys haven't seen it, I really do recommend checking it out. Just it, It'll make you laugh, but it'll also be a really bad representation of an American getting to see all of North Korea. You know, and, and also, these other NBA players were trying to spin it as, hey, this isn't a celebration of Kim Jong-un. We're just here to play a basketball game. And then they play the game, and Dennis Rodman is down there on on the floor singing "Happy Birthday" to Kim Jong Un, <laughs> with all these North Korean people just clapping as he's singing "Happy Birthday" because they probably feel like they have to. But he's looking at the people with his arms raised, like "Come on, sing along with me!" Not realizing these are North Koreans; they've never heard the song "Happy Birthday" yeah. to you in their life. You know? <laughs> they don't have birthdays in North Korea. <laughs> oh, I feel, I feel like I got to pull that up, which we can do now. I'll. Uh, it's uh, dude. It's so awkward. But I Three really Dennis do recommend Rodman people clips check this in one out. show, man. Two Dennis Rodman clips. Yeah, I'll uh, let me pull it up if I can. It's just it's funny. I'll, uh, what the hell is that guy even up to these days? Is this just the Pete? Is this them talking about it? Yeah, I think it is. I don't know, man. I guess just going to uh, going to other countries and playing basketball. I think right now he's probably in a rehab or something. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah. Rehab World he Tour. Always, world he always tour. Need a website. Like some sort of weird train wreck between a Prince video and somebody from I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Like every <laughs> time he shows up in public, he's just like a train wreck. I want to see if this is the audio of it real quick. Yeah, this is it. It's just so awkward, man. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear it. I mean, you can't see it, uh, T.L., but... Yeah, yeah. Clapper, you will be sent for firing squad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They actually have a better angle of it in the uh, in the movie, but you see Kim Jong Un like has this highest seat on in the arena, and he, you know he's oh, looking yeah. at he's singing it directly to him, and as any good dictator should. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Cool. Well, uh, anything else before we wrap up here? We've uh, we have a solid show here, and it's always great hearing from you. Are you working on any new uh, articles? Uh, I will anything? just comment too as I walk in. I notice Drew is sick. He's got that cold that's going. Oh around. my god! Yeah, he's, he's however. Dying in here. However, he's not afraid to. I look also. He's like poured himself a whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> <Fucker>. <laughs> it's supposed to help, right? Grand, yeah. Granddaddy's cold medicine, right there. Oh uh, yeah, apparently. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I always enjoy being on, dude. If there's anything you want to talk about, I, I mean, I we can talk about it. Um, I want to talk about the only thing I'm really working on that just now. walked in the space. Do what? Do, <laughs> Do what? Oh, this space that we're working in. There's no shortage oh, yeah, yeah. of eye candy. <laughs> See, that's why I decided to do the call in. Otherwise, I would just be preoccupied by looking at uh, all of this Yeah, you got to come out to New York, man. So, um, yeah, sorry, back to that. Just uh, any any articles oh, yeah. that you're working on. You wrote two recently, as I said, if people want to check it out. The latest is uh, Japanese government issues citizens DEFCON warning because of North Korea. Um, but what's next in store for T.L.? Yeah, I uh, so I'm still working on. I've got that long term series. It's like shit. I think it's twelve articles where I'm going over um, like uh, shit Japanese like warrior religious shit. Um, so I think I'm on like the third or fourth fourth maybe installment of that. Uh, I just dropped one in today before this call uh, about the kind of the sum up of everything going on with the South Korean president who's like in jail right now, former South Korean president. Um, I, uh, I've been working on a lot of shit with the developments in the Japanese military and intelligence community. Fuck, I guess probably for about as long as I've worked on, worked with software. And, uh, every fucking time I get something nailed down, something changes. And, uh, so usually when I'm back over there, I, one of the, one of my contacts is a, uh, he's a retired general, uh, like four star type general. And, uh, he, um, he retired now, but he still works with the Japanese military. And, uh, so I get a lot of shit from him. Um, just in terms of like a lot of the developments, the Japanese are working on, uh, amphibious, like Island to Island assaults and shit like that, which is a big deal. They're training with the Marines a lot. And, uh, fuck, I think the French just got there for a military, like an amphibious exercise. Um, uh, you know, it kind of flops back and forth between the shit going on in the Koreas and then this, like the overall strategic developments in Japan. Um, China, I mean, China's a big, a big issue. I could, I could probably fucking yammer all day about the bullshit going on there, but it's a really, really, really big bite. Anytime you start fucking with China, it's a massive place, but, uh, uh, there's just a lot of shit going on. You know, I told you that we could talk about like uh, territorial disputes in East Asia if you look at a fucking action map of East Asia and all the territorial disputes, the entire border of China is just this red line because they have territorial disputes with everyone around them uh, because they, they're just trying to slowly soak up land, uh, islands, they're building islands. Um, but uh, uh, another thing that's, that's interesting, I guess we can talk about this some other time, but uh, for the, the, the United States government has just started amping up their – uh, the recruitment of linguists. Um, they're, they're leaning real heavy on East Asia right now. Um, there are only a few Japanese linguists in the Department of Defense, like DLI grad type linguists in the Department of Defense, but they just amped up that number like 400% or some shit like that. Wow. So there's going to be a, yeah, there's going to be a huge influx of Japanese linguists, uh, 
uh, one of the things I started doing a long time ago, um, and it's easier in America than it is with other countries, but uh, you can you can do some some predictive analysis on a lot of shit by what people are hiring for. Um, so you get on USA Jobs, they're hiring the, the, the Defense Language Institute, Foreign Language Center, Monterey, California, is uh, currently hiring, uh, I think it's like three or four positions for Japanese instructors. And the United States Army and Navy and Air Force are currently actively hiring uh, Japanese linguists to come in the system as uh, human dudes or SIGINT dudes. Um, Southeast Asia, the DOD's leaning, leaning real heavy on Southeast Asia, so they're hiring uh, Thai Tagalog, Indonesian, and uh, uh, Cantonese linguists. They're also starting to lean heavy on Southeastern Europe. They're hiring Albanian and Macedonian and Serbo-Croatian linguists and Russians. Always hiring Russian linguists. But uh, so that's the kind of shit you 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 know. It's the the, the linguist community is kind of like the soft community in terms of you can't just go out and grab a soft dude. It takes time to train those fucking guys and get them seasoned up and everything. I mean, everybody's pipeline in the special operations community is pretty long. And then with the linguist, it's the same thing, because at a bare minimum, you're going to be learning a language for six months. If you're doing something like Chinese or, uh, or Pasto or some shit like that, you're at DLI for 18 months, if you even pass the shit the first time around, which is very rare. Uh, it's not rare, but it's, it's, it's not common. So... So when they're hiring for people for Southeastern Europe, fucking Macedonian, I don't know anybody that speaks Macedonian. So they're hiring for people that speak Macedonian. They're, they're, they're actively uh, hiring, recruiting people uh, to send them to school to learn Macedonian. So that means that there's an H hour somewhere out there, uh, you know, a year down the line where some team or some unit or some office or some desk somewhere is going to be working really fucking hard on Macedonian issues. Um, whether that's ICE dudes filtering in from the Middle East or whatever it is, I don't know. Same thing for Albania and Serbo-Croatian. Those are, I mean, all of those are low-density languages, I meaning we don't have a whole lot of linguists that do those. Um, but uh, Serbo-Croatian was big when we were really, really doing a lot of shit in the Balkans. But um, uh, Indonesian is the same way. We just don't have a whole lot of Indonesian linguists. Most of the Tagalog dudes are attached out to OEFP, uh, Operation During Freedom Philippines, and um, but uh, but yeah, so so I, I I'm always kind of centric to the language community because that that really belies the kind of shit that our operational and intelligence uh, focuses are gonna are gonna start focusing on, and uh, so I mean I, I'm I'm keeping my ear on that. I might write up a quick article about that at some point and. Uh, I know my first radio show was talking about like how you become a linguist in the military yeah, and, uh, and shit like that. And so, uh, you know, that's one of those things. I mean, you, you roll to a recruiting office today, just when you leave the, when you leave the shop today, roll to a recruiter and say, I want to be a linguist. No fucking recruiter through any branch of the military is going to know how to answer those questions immediately. Like, I don't, uh, well, uh, uh, because those are all low density things. And they're like fucking, uh, one of the dudes I talked to, one of the army recruits I talked to recently uh, about it, he was like, man, that shit is like, it's like unicorn. It's a like golden unicorn shit for us to get a cat for like Arab, Chinese, Japanese, Korean linguist to walk through our door because they have to be able to get a TSSCI. They have to pass a language test. They have to pass a physical, you know, MEPS. They got to pass their fucking ASVAB. They got to get a certain score on their ASVAB and, and they just can't get them. So, so people don't even recruit for that shit because it, it's, it's, uh, 
you know, it's, it's just not a, a big return on their ability to go out and try to recruit those dudes because there's so many fucking hoops those guys, the linguists, not like the soft dudes, there's so many fucking hoops those guys have to jump through. Uh, but the soft community has soft, specific, you know, there's SEAL recruiters that go out to the recruiting stations and the Air Force and special tactics recruiters and the Army, it's uh, the SORB guys. And, uh, but the, the, the intelligence community, the, ling- the linguist community doesn't have specialist recruiters to come out and do that. So uh, as a result of that, the language community is constantly, um, you know, way the fuck under their numbers. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not even going to bother asking for a Twitter or any of that as you usually do with guests because I know that you're you're completely you under know, the radar. I, I think that I, I want to say that that uh, the Odyssean has a Twitter. Oh, all right. Thing, but I've never like I've never acted. I must because my I if you haven't know, activated it, there's no reason to get back a Twitter handle. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so. but I promise I'll go activate that. I need to be more active in social media. I'm like a people person, so uh, I uh, I avoid all that shit. But I'll um I'll go through and activate that. I also want to say that I've got an Instagram that's got a few. You know, All right, so give it out then. Phoenix pictures, yeah. Let me let me dig that shit up because I don't know what <laughs> oh we're gonna use it. Um, let me dig that. I don't have it. I mean, you can probably type. It's got to be like the Odysseum. How are you gonna not? You're like I have an Instagram that has a song, and I don't know the name. I, I have it, but I don't. Um, so let me find those and I'll get into you and we can, we can do them, do it on the next show or I post it at the bottom of one of my articles or something. All right. Sounds um, good. Good hearing from you as mm-hmm. always, man. We'll, we'll have you back soon. Yeah, and now that we're doing these two yeah, shows yeah. a week. Thanks. Thanks as always, boss. Have a great day. Yeah. And Drew, keep did drinking, it, buddy. Catch up. <laughs> I don't even know where Drew went, but, uh, thanks brother. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, <laughs> I did cut him off in the middle of talking, <laughs> but then again, with the audition, that could have gone on twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if he if he kept going there, I do love To though. Uh, so I don't know where Drew went, man. He's he was like dying in here he the entire like, show. He looked like shit. Yeah, honest with you. Yeah, he uh, he was he wasn't doing too well. But hey, we got a good good show out of this. Uh, so I guess if if we're wrapping things up here, we got to talk about the killing school. I mean, it's what a week yeah, away. Yeah, no, a week away. We're. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I got the first book signing at Tribeca. I'll be there. On uh, May, what's that? Oh, yeah, May 10th, 6 p.m., and then the 11th is a big party. Uh, kind of a launch party for the members. But, yeah, it's kind of fun. I po- posted up some stuff on my Instagram and Facebook and uh, about contacting a store, and then a store <laughs> called my publisher and said, Tell Brandon to please take it down. We have too many phone calls. Really? So it's good. I'm I'm expecting that Tribeca hopefully be another sellout. Well, the cool uh, thing about this book, and you know, I've gotten a chance to skim through it, and also I've heard you talk about it, I should say, through the years now, because it's really been, what, a two-year process of getting this thing done? Yeah, it took 11 months just to clear the the Department of Defense Publishing Review Board. And I you, actually you had to threaten to sue them because they were taking so long. It was just, you know, it got to the point where I... F- I figured certain groups in the military that they send the book to are just slow rolling and it shouldn't take 11 months. It just, it should not. I mean, I could understand three months, six months max, yeah. but I knew it was, it was just bullshit. So, but I from had, what I remember, you had the idea for this book in mind when among heroes basically came out, like right away, this was the next book. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, I, I had the, I had, um, uh, I don't forget. There was a series of events, including losing Glenn Doherty and Benghazi, that it made me want to write Among Heroes uh, before. And you know, I'm glad I wrote that book. There's a lot of like personal 
shit that I dealt with writing Among Heroes, and I'm glad I did that. But The Killing School has been uh, on my mind for a long time, and my goal there is to, to really give people an uncomfortable look at what it's like to take another person's life. You know, it's not the movies. It's like there's a great uh, part of the book in there where Delgado shoots um, somebody for the first time. He shoots him in the back. This is the guy that like shot at them and ran, was running away. And Delgado uh, shot this guy and he's like, man, it didn't happen like in the video games where you shoot somebody, boom, they fall over dead. It's like this guy was like reaching for his stomach, bent over and like his guts were spilled out on the streets and this guy's like crouched down and slowly sat there and died. Wow. And, and so, you know, there's stories like that that are, that are an uncomfortable look at what it's like to be a sniper, what it's like to kill somebody. Um, and so I wanted to give not only a deeper look into the sniper training program, like the, the intensity uh, of, the, of what it takes to produce a sniper and some of the you know, best snipers in the world, but also give people that uncomfortable look because it's always somebody asking, what's it like, to, you know, how many how many people you kill? What's it like to kill somebody? I'm like, all right, motherfucker. Like, you really want to know. I'm going to make you really uncomfortable with this book and put it, you know, put it out there. And I think people, I think it will be well received because it's uh, not not only a, a deep look in the, the SEAL sniper program mm-hmm. um, and just the in, incredible amount of work that goes into producing a sniper, but also those real world missions um, and I follow, you know, a, a friend, my own stuff, but my friend Alex in the book, who's another SEAL sniper, all the way back from Somalia to, to present in Afghanistan. Some cr- incredible stories. Again, uh, Alex, uh, one of the stories in the book, he was in Afghanistan doing sniper overwatch, watching this village and saw this Taliban guy, you know, patrolling through the, this field and the the Taliban's like 12, 13 ish year old son comes out and is like tugging on his dad because he didn't want his dad to get involved in the fight. And there was this whole back and forth and Jay or uh, Alex ended up killing this guy. Wow. And then he gets back and realizes, Holy shit, I have a 13 year old son myself. You know, just watching that whole thing play out on this, on the sniper scope. Um, but it's just stuff like that where people don't realize the, the decisions that a lot of these guys have to make. You know, they, they showed, I thought they did a pretty good job showing that in American Sniper, but um, I'm excited for the book. There's a lot, of, a lot of really intense stories in the book, and I think it really answers the mail uh, with what the fans want. They wanted, after they read The Red Circle, they wanted a deeper look at the Sniper program, um, and then, you know, I just got tired of asking all the or answering these uncomfortable questions at these cocktail parties in New York. And <laughs> Do they ask it in a really uncomfortable yeah, way? Like I would never a, go out. You know, I, I interview you guys, and I don't think I've ever asked on the show just flat out, what's it like to kill somebody? It's just not the type of question. Well, it's like I, a typical is I'll go to some some event and... You know, some cocktail party or an art gallery, and inevitably, you know, you get introduced to somebody, and they find out you're a Navy SEAL, and 
and potentially a sniper, and then the questions start coming, and it's just, you know, you look at some financial douchebag, you know, four cocktails deep, asking you these questions, and you just want to smack them, but in this case, at least, I can just say, hey, go read the book. Yeah, well, that's it's a better answer, there. yeah. yeah. The, the thing I was going to say about this book is, so you've put out, I mean, you've put out more than three books, but you have three major books out there. You know, you also have The Power of Thought and stuff like that, but it, it wasn't distributed the way these are. And there's stuff that really separates these three books because a lot of the times there are guys in your community who get a multi-book deal and they're kind of milking the same stories and this is not what you're doing. You know, The Red Circle is your memoir. Among Heroes is about the SEALs that you served and some of them who have passed on. And then this book is like the inside look of what it's like to be a sniper. I mean, it's three very different topics all covered in these books. Yeah, absolutely. And probably my last major, I mean, I may do some historical stuff, but probably my last book in this category, because I'm starting to transition to more of that, that, um, stuff like the power of thought, business self-help. I really enjoy that stuff. I enjoy, um, applying the lessons I learned in life, the SEAL teams starting a business and applying those, those lessons to, um, all areas, um, business and, you know, professional, personal, whatever you want to call it. So I, I just enjoyed doing that. I, I'm finishing a book, um, called mass mastering fear is the working title. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Because I've had to confront and overcome fear like a lot of people do, but over and over and over again, um, especially in the, in the SEAL teams. Uh, so that's a book I'm working on. I My seventh book coming out in August, that's a total focus about making decisions under pressure. So again, a lot of parallels uh, with the sniper community and applying that towards leadership and business, whether you're an owner or, or an executive, so or even a manager um i think that book will do really well it's a lot of because it's not it's not some bullshit you know hypothesis um you're you have a lot of people that you know stay in academia their whole life which hey that's there's nothing wrong with that but there's a very there's a very big difference between teaching and doing and then somebody that can do both and i you know, it's like I at the sniper program, the guys and I that ran that school, we all been downrange, all all combat veterans, and have kind of like been there and and can teach it. Um, and so I think when you when I look to people that I look up to and want to learn from, it's all always somebody, or I try and f- always focus on somebody that has actually accomplished something, not just you know, has sat behind a fucking desk their whole, or a classroom their, their whole life, which is nothing wrong with teaching. I love, sure. I love teaching. We, we need good teachers. But, you know, I look at some subjects, whether it's finance, leadership. Um, God, I forget, Jack and I were talking about this lady. She's like a self-proclaimed expert on the Middle East, never never really been downrange. There's a lot of those. Way. Yeah. And I could name lo- some. Well, there's I don't a lot like of calling them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fucking people like that in the world that, kind of get away with their bullshit and and I'm here to basically just give it to give it to people straight so I'm I'm excited about the kind of taking that turn with with the books 
Awesome. The Killing School should be. I mean, it's epic. It's an epic book. The fucking cover is bad. I love too. the cover. It looks so cool <laughs> next to next to this Japanese whiskey here in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it works, man. Yeah. Uh, so I know everybody's looking forward to reading it. And I mean, if you remember the Crate Club, you already have it, so you're already reading it. Um, so yeah, this has been a pretty cool inaugural uh, second show for you guys who are members, and we're going to be doing this every Tuesday, every Thursday. Drew came back in. Hopefully, you're not dying, brother, but. Uh, Cool, man. Well, you never know who's going to stop by the uh, the soft rep studio because Brandon just randomly came in and made an appearance. This has been uh, a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to you guys tuning in twice a week. We'll be able to do a lot more breaking news and that type of thing. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at soft rep Radio. And uh, I guess that sums it up, right, guys? That sums it up for me. <laughs> Good shit. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday, and you'll hear some new stuff on Wednesday. And thanks to everybody for being a subscriber, being a team room member. We appreciate it. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.